0: Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Amen. Brothers and sisters, please turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 3 this evening. And please remain standing and give your attention as you hear God's holy word. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Thus far, the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. Let's ask for God's blessing now on the preaching of the Word. O Father, as we come to this glorious chapter in the book of Hebrews, as we consider uh, all of those who went before us, who were able to see with the eyes of their hearts to see with the eyes of faith your glory. Uh, how we do pray that you would yet work faith in our own hearts. Lord, where there is weak faith, that you would grow it. Uh, if there is here someone who does not believe, that you would uh, grant it. Where there is strong faith, that you would increase it. But Lord, in, it, in all of these scenarios, in all of these situations, Lord, we do pray that you would pour out your spirit. For we have need Oh, Lord, to be able to see you who are invisible. And we know that this is beyond the strength and power of man to grant or to do. And so, Lord, we do pray that you would grant it, that we would see your glory, and that in seeing your glory, we would respond with, with great worship. For, Lord, you do ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. One of the important contrasts in the scriptures is the contrast between faith and sight and this comes uh, probably most classically in 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7 where the Apostle Paul says that we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. There is this contrast between the things that our eyes can see and the things that our eyes cannot see. Now. This contrast is not the same as the oft-stated contrast of faith and reason. Faith and reason versus faith and sight are not quite the same thing. Um, Certainly, faith is reasonable. You are not asked to withhold the faculty of reason as you believe uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the scriptures teach that unbelief is actually the most unreasonable thing imaginable. That once you turn away from God, you have now uh, turned away from the only one who is the source of all reason itself. And so when we think about the distinction between faith and sight, it's not the the distinction exactly between faith and reason. Even those who will make this contrast between faith and reason, uh, they are often limiting reason to the senses. So the idea being, I I can only really reason about the things uh, that I can see. And they want to say that reason is something like, an autonomous human reason that rejects anything that cannot be proved to, to uh, be able to be apprehended by the senses. Uh, Augustine, however, says, I believe that I may understand. So there, there's a belief that's a prerequisite for right reasoning. So there's not faith versus reason. As uh, one, as one uh, pastor has said, faith is not a leap into the dark. It's a step into the light whereby we are able to see all things and reason correctly. The contrast in the scriptures is a contrast between faith and sight. So faith does apprehend things that cannot be seen with the senses. And and particularly in the scriptures, there is always this contrast between uh, not just all the senses, but sight in particular. So by faith, you are able to apprehend the one who is in fact invisible. And this is why... Uh, The Apostle Peter speaks of weak faith being equivalent to becoming nearsighted. Uh, You're so nearsighted, the Apostle Peter says, that you are almost blind having forgotten that you've been cleansed from your former sins. So faith is able to apprehend the unseen realities that are in the world and particularly even beyond the world, the realities that have to do uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ who even right now is seated at the right hand of the Father and who has received all the nations for himself. Your eyes grant sight to visible realities. Faith grants sight to invisible realities. Faith grants sight to invisible realities. And here, in chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, the author is highlighting this very thing. There are unseen realities that the saints of old apprehended, and this was the thing that enabled them to endure all kinds of trials in this life. How is it that they were able to endure? How is it that they were able to get through all the trials and tribulations that they faced? It's because they were able to see the one who is invisible. They were able to to, uh, attain to the substance of their hope. They, They believed in the hope that in fact was to come. This was the thing that was needed. This was what they had This was how they were able to maintain the course, to hold fast to their confession against all opposition. And so, brothers and sisters, as you think about uh, all the things that you are going through, what is it that you need? Well, it is, as the author says here, you need to have faith such that you are able to have, to be able to see with your eyes, the, the eyes of your heart, the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things Unseen. This is the thing uh, that is needed for you. Uh, Now, this is a very well known chapter in the Bible where the author goes through uh, many examples of faith in the Old Testament. By faith, this person did this. By faith, uh, this person did this. Uh, But it's important to keep in mind uh, why this chapter is here, what it's contributing to the argument that the author to the Hebrews is making with regard to this letter. Why does he take these 40 verses? in order to explain the lives of all these people who live by faith. And the answer is we have to remember that this chapter comes on the heels of the end of chapter 10 and is very much related to it. Uh, at the end of chapter 10 the author has said you know, look you've endured all kinds of suffering and you endured it well at one point. He's saying continue to hold fast. You, you, what you need is endurance. You need to have real faith. And he quotes from Habakkuk chapter 2, as we saw last week, and he says that it's the just who live by faith. But if, if a soul shrinks back, then my, then, then my soul is not going to be pleased with him. That's what, that's what God says. So there are, there are going to be two kinds of people. There are going to be those who, who hold fast to their faith in the midst of great trials, and they're the ones that are going to endure to the end. And there's going to be those that do not. And what the author was saying at the end of chapter 10 is uh, he has great confidence in the people he's addressing. He's saying, look, We are not of those who shrink back, we are those who maintain our faith and so persevere to the end. And the point of chapter 11 is to say, and there are many examples of others who went before you who did the same. Consider their faith and so follow in their footsteps. The point of chapter 11 is basically to be a continuation or um, an explication of the end of chapter 10 which means it's part of the exhortation that he's given. In light of all that Christ has done for you, maintain your faith as all the saints did from of old. That's the the reason why there are so many examples given. We have, as the author will say in the beginning of chapter 12, this great cloud of witnesses that God has given to us to aid us when our faith is weak, to, to aid us when we consider our difficulties and we're tempted to turn back. We're to consider the outcome of those who endured, who were able to see the one who is invisible, and we are to follow in their footsteps. Now, the significance of these three verses is that this is basically to to set the the stage for the discussion that follows. Um, The first question we need to understand and and to answer is, uh, if the saints of old endured because they had this real faith, what actually is that faith? What's the faith that they had? And if we answer that, then we also know that's the kind of faith that you need. And the thing that the author points out is that there's really two parts to this. There is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Faith ultimately rests on the promises of things that are hoped for that you cannot see with your eyes. Faith is... is. The way in which you can see things that are otherwise invisible, it is your eyes that grant you sight of visible things, but it's faith that grants you the sight of invisible realities. And so we'll look at this part, this chapter under this this passage under two headings. First, in verses one through one and two, we'll look at the definition of faith, and then in verse three, we're going to consider the way in which faith is related to creation. So there's what faith is, and then Creation is basically the first example that's given uh, in this chapter. Now, as I uh, noted, there are really two things that are highlighted as we consider verses 1 and 2. Two things that have been highlighted uh, by the author here. Faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen. Now, the main thing that, he, that the author is doing with regard to this definition of faith is he's defining faith in terms of its object. So where does faith rest itself? Faith rests itself on a hope that is coming ultimately found in the Lord Jesus Christ, and in unseen realities, particularly God, who is the one who is invisible. So faith is able to apprehend these things which are unseen. Ultimately, God, who is invisible, is the object of faith, and faith is able to see these things even though the eye itself cannot. So we'll look at this. uh, these two parts of this definition. There is a substance of things hoped for, And there is the evidence or the conviction of things uh, not seen. Now, even as we think about this first one, there are things hoped for. Things that are hoped for are, in fact, things that cannot be seen. Uh, The Apostle Paul reminds us of this in in Romans chapter 8. He said, "He says, hope that is seen is not hope at all. So the idea is that if you can see it and you've already attained it, well, it's not something you hope for. It's something that you actually have. But with regard to hope, What you are speaking about is something that's going to come in the future, and you can't see into the future, something that's going to come into the future that's beyond what the eye can see, and it's going to to come for you. And when you have a hope then, and uh, what you're saying is that by faith, you're able to apprehend the thing which is going to come. It is something that is, in fact, unseen. So the first part of faith then is related to the unseen realities of blessedness that are coming in the future. Uh, there are real things that have been promised to you and faith is able to understand that even though it looks like if you look at your outward life it may look like none of them are actually going to be granted to you but yet by faith you understand that all of them are going to be granted because they have in fact been promised to you by God. So what is what are the things that are hoped for? It's everything related to the blessed promise of eternal life. Everything that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is something that by its very nature cannot be apprehended by the senses. Your, your eyes will never see it. You won't be able to see it with your eyes until the day when the Lord uh, Jesus Christ returns from heaven. But in that day, uh, in, in that day, uh, your hope will be realized. It'll be too late for you to begin to hope. You will have already had to have hope. Those who hope are those who will one day see uh, with their eyes all the things that are in fact uh, coming. And this is what faith is able to do in the midst of great suffering faith is able to apprehend hope and this is what you're required to believe brothers and sisters as you think about uh, all the things that you're suffering you see death all around you and yet you realize that life is coming that though you die yet you will live and for every lesser thing that you may be experiencing in terms of suffering in this life Uh, Faith is able to look beyond what the eye sees, beyond what all the senses are feeling, beyond all of the apparent misery that's all around you. And faith is able to understand that there is, in fact, something that is greater that is coming for you. Think about the way David speaks of this in Psalm 23, where he speaks of comfort in the shadow of the valley of death. In the valley of the shadow of death, Uh, God is preparing for him, as he says a table in the presence of his enemies. The picture is is that he's in a wilderness, and he's surrounded by enemies, and yet David is feasting because he understands that there is yet a hope for him that is coming. And notice even at the end of that psalm, he speaks even more clearly about the hope. He says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Uh, it does not matter that it appears to me that I am going through the valley of the shadow of death. I know that I will attain to my hope, the thing that I have hoped for. Now, the the, the nature of this hope is not a an I hope so kind of hope. You know, there are kind of two ways in which the word hope is used today. Uh, people will speak of the things that they hope for. And it basically means nothing more than that, uh, you know, it may or may not happen. If it happens, it's good. If it doesn't happen, it's not good. And I don't know if it's going to happen but I'm going to just basically hope that it does. Uh, That is not the kind of hope that the author here is speaking about. This is rather a hope that is rooted in belief in God's objective promises. The idea is this, God has spoken. It cannot be turned back because God has spoken it. And therefore, there is a real substance to the hope. This is the reason why this word is used. There is a real substance to this hope. It's not just a a wishy-washy kind of I hope so. There is a real substance to it because it is rooted in the objective promises of the Word of God. And this is why the the author will say in verse 6 of this very chapter that hope is found in God, where you must believe that He is, so there is a belief in the unseen realities, God the invisible God is, but then secondly, that He is the rewarder of those who earnestly seek Him. That is to say, If you come to him in faith, there will be some blessing that you will receive from him. And the author has actually even spoke about this even further in chapter 6, if you remember, where he speaks of uh, Abraham, who was able to attain to the promises. And God did not just merely give him these promises, but he also uh, even confirmed them with an oath, whereby God swore by himself that he would bless Abraham, such that by two unchangeable things, you might have hope. That's the thing that that the author is pointing to. There is this unseen reality, but it's real. It's objective because God has spoken about it. He's spoken about it in two ways. He's granted to you a wonderful promise. All of those who turn to the Lord Jesus Christ will find life, every single one of them. You will have your sins forgiven. You will be adopted into the family of God. You will be immediately declared righteous. You will be sanctified and set free from your sins. All these things. And you will even see the Lord Jesus Christ with your very eyes. You will be—you are promised an inheritance which is imperishable and unfading and undefiled that is kept in heaven for you. All these things are yours because they have been promised. And even further, God wants you to be sure of their objective reality because he has confirmed it with an oath. God has sworn by himself that he will give these things to you. And faith is able to understand that. Faith is able to say, there is a real substance, and I am clinging to this substance of hope, this thing that is coming for me in the future. And faith is able, uh, by faith, then those of the past have been able to see that in light of this hope, it simply does not matter what I am suffering when it's, com- uh, when, when it is compared to the glory that is going to be revealed. It's not to deny suffering. It's not to deny that people need help in suffering, but it is to say that when you Stack these two things up. Strong faith is simply able to see that what God has promised is far greater than anything that I could possibly suffer in this life. It's it's just going to tip the scales very hard in one direction, and that is towards the hope and the promises that God has, in fact, made. Now, because of this, there's a substance of, of, of hope that's rooted in this objective reality, that's particularly related to the promises of God. Uh, This is the reason why that Calvinist says that there is, with faith, a special relationship to God's promises. Uh, Faith believes all the words of God, but faith particularly has a special reference to the promises of God, because it's the promises that give this foundation for this hope. The substance of the hope is rooted in the promises of God. God's made a promise, and we believe that very promise. Now, uh, you you remember that when I preach uh, harder things with regard to uh, judgment and that sort of thing, I'll often say that one of the elements of faith is to tremble at God's threats. You remember that that's something that our confession of faith uses in terms of a a definition of faith. Um, There is a sense in which um, there is an appropriate response that faith makes to all of God's word. So faith does tremble at God's threats. However, even as we affirm this, we want to affirm it, uh, we still have to recognize and, and affirm with Calvin that faith has a special reference to promises. Faith has a special reference to the promises of God. It is here where the substance of our hope, which is really, as the author is saying here, the, 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 the main element of faith itself in terms of, of what you need to believe. Uh, what is faith? Faith is apprehending the substance of hope, a very real hope that's placed before you. That hope is rooted in the promises of God. And this is... Uh, Um, This is the reason why, um, brothers and sisters, it is significant then that the Apostle Paul will say in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that all the promises of God are yes and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. All of them are yes and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. Ultimately, as you think about the substance of your hope, all of your hope is found in him. All the promises of God are yes and amen in him, and this is where we even have Uh, something greater than even a bare promise, even confirmed with an oath. Uh, The blessings that have been promised to you and that God has confirmed with an oath have already been attained by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a sense in which uh, part of the reality of these promises have already been seen. Christ is already raised from the dead. The resurrection, in this sense, uh, has already begun. Uh, Christ God raised his son from the dead, his son has eternal life, his son has ascended on high, therefore you will be raised from the dead, therefore you have eternal life, and therefore you will ascend on high with him. Christ is, in fact, the substance of everything that the believer hopes for, and by faith you are able to attain to him. That's the first part of faith. The second part of faith is that faith is a conviction of things not seen, So this is also related to the faith-sight dichotomy and is, in fact, uh, perhaps an even more obvious relationship uh, to this dichotomy. Um, Faith apprehends things that are, in fact, not seen. Uh, There is a a special reference here, uh, particularly to everything that the author has been speaking of. It's important to to keep in mind the the, the evidence, the conviction of things which are not seen. This has not just come out of nowhere with regard to what the author is saying. Um, This is uh, related to everything that he has said to this point. If you remember, the main theological exposition that the author has given in the book of Hebrews has been related to the priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the things that was a question that was addressed in chapter 8 was, implicitly, is if the Lord Jesus Christ is really this priest, then where is his temple? Where is the place where he offers his sacrifices? Where does he serve? Where is the altar? Where are all these things? And the answer that was given, if you remember, is it's not seen. It's in heaven. Uh, Christ is the one who serves in the new creation, in heaven itself. He didn't appear on earth in the thing which was just the type and shadow of God's presence. Christ himself has appeared in the holy of holies, not on earth, but in heaven, appearing before God on your behalf, that he might win for you, as the author has said, in eternal redemption. And so faith is the thing that is necessary for you to apprehend the reality of this great work of the Lord Jesus Christ. E- even the use of this, this term thing, um, it was used in chapter 10, verse 1, where there was this contrast between the ministry of the law and the ministry of Christ in the, in the new covenant. And, and what, if you remember what the author said is he said, you know, the law um, has the shadow of the things, but not the thing itself. That does not have the actual thing. There is a certain heavenly reality that cannot be seen. It casts this shadow. And that shadow is seen in the Old Covenant ministry. But the thing itself is unseen. And faith has always, whether whether it's Old Covenant or New Covenant, has always required people to be able to see the, the substance of that unseen reality. And so as you think then, what is, what is faith actually apprehending? It's apprehending the reality of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's apprehending this unseen reality wherein Christ is serving as the priest after the order of Melchizedek, sitting even now at the right hand of God, interceding for his saints. Uh, it's, It's apprehending the reality of this heavenly sanctuary where he has offered his blood to atone for sins through the eternal spirit, where he has sprinkled the throne of God and obtained an eternal redemption. These are the unseen realities themselves that form a basis for your hope and the unseen realities which faith is able to apprehend. By faith, you are able to see these very things. And this is, this is the the point that the author is making. These are the things that you must see in order to endure. These are the things that you must have. He has said, you have great need of endurance. There is real persecution. There is real. There are real trials and tribulations. And what is it that you need, brothers and sisters, in order to endure as all those who came before you, the thing that is needed is for you to be able to apprehend the substance of all of your hope and the one who is invisible, to be able to set your eyes on him. All of those who are able to do that, persevere to the end. If you're able to do that, you will be able to persevere to the end. God will grant you the strength so to do. Now, in verse 2, the author speaks of the benefit of this for those who have come before us. Uh, For by it, this is by faith, the elders have obtained a good testimony. That is to say they were commended by God. They pleased God with their faith. Uh, They were those who did not shrink back and with whom God was not well pleased. They were those whom God said, I am not ashamed to be called your God. And they were commended and so were able to obtain to all the promises even as, as Abraham did. Now, basically, the explanation of this in terms of these the, uh, the elders, so to speak, is the rest of the chapter. The rest of the chapter is going to go through all of those who were thus commended uh, by faith. Uh, but even further, brothers and sisters, if you keep in mind the end of the chapter, the very, very end, uh, the author will even say, He'll reiterate this point. You know, the the earth was not worthy of these these saints and God has commended them. They've received a commendation and yet uh, God did not see fit to give them in their lives the things that they hoped for. And the reason he says is amazingly was so that you might obtain it and that they would not be perfected until you have been brought in. That's what the author is saying. And in some ways, God uh, God was withholding things from them, that there that there might be a sense in which all God's people might attain to the reality of their hope together. And this is the point then of this this book ended reference to all these saints. Um, God has granted all of these faithful men and women to be an example to you. They are in this sense a cloud of witnesses who are waiting for you to be able to run that race and get to the end, and they're cheering you on as you go, that you might, on the last day, obtain to those promises with them, and you all cross the finish line together. Uh, That is the thing that God has done, and that's the purpose of having all of these examples that we're going to look at in the coming weeks. Now, the second thing to note is that there is a special relationship between faith and creation. And you may be wondering, you know, why is Uh, creation, the first thing mentioned, you notice in in verse 3, there is this reference to to creation. Uh, By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things uh, which are visible. Now, uh, one of the reasons why this is here is because, uh, as we'll see, in chapter 11, the author is going through uh, mostly people that are found in the Pentateuch. All the longest uh, descriptions of faith are going to be found with people who are in the first five books of the Bible, and all of them are in order. Uh, until you get further down when the uh, when you get past the Pentateuch and he's just basically listing out a bunch of things. Uh, all of them are going to be in order for most of the chapter. And so it's, it's fitting then that, that the author would begin with creation. However, there's a difference between stating creation here and the rest of the chapter in that uh, the rest of the chapter is commending the saints of old for their faith. Verse 3 is actually speaking of something that we believe. So it's part of the object of faith in terms of um, the, uh, an article of faith that Christians believe. And notice then what the author is saying. There is actually something that is necessary for you to believe with regard to creation to be a Christian. Um, you, what, what, one of the things that sets you apart from every other religion, as we'll see, is the fact that you believe that things that are visible were made out of things which are not visible. Here, what the author is saying is very, very simply is ex nihilo creation, as it said, or creation out of nothing. Uh, that God has, in fact, created all things out of nothing. And this is an example of the thing that he's talking about. So faith, what he's saying is that faith, being contrasted with sight, always has this relationship to unseen realities. And what he's saying is is the very first example of this, the very first article, so to speak, in terms of the actions of God that he's done, is creation. And you have this exact thing. What is the, the, the main thing that you are to affirm with regard to the doctrine of creation? That God has made all things out of nothing. That there was a point when there was nothing. Except for God. No thing that was visible. And there was this, this unseen reality. It was God. And God created such that the, the visible things were in fact created. And uh, by bringing up faith and its relationship to creation at the beginning, um, I, the author is implicitly drawing a connection between creation and redemption. Um, there is there is a similar kind of faith required to believe in creation and redemption, because both of them are believing in God who is unseen and His actions for you in the world of all things that are seen, and you are required to believe in the things, the unseen reality, even if the things that are visible appear to go against it, so to speak. So you know, we have all kinds of people who will uh, say that you know, um, you know, the, the Earth was not created by God and evolution and all those various things. Uh, But also we have all around us death. Death is what our eyes see. This is what we all experience. And yet, we understand through the promises of God that there will be life. In both cases, we could not see creation. We'll we'll never be able to look back and see it. And we cannot, in this sense, see redemption, the thing that will go beyond this life. And yet, faith is able to apprehend both. Faith is able to apprehend both. And the point then is to say this, with regard to creation... A Christian is able to understand that God has made all things out of nothing, that there is an an invisible reality that goes beyond this world. Now, as I mentioned, uh, this is actually something that sets Christianity apart from every other religion in the world. Every other religion in the world fails at the very beginning with regard to creation. Every pagan religion in the world fails because it does not recognize there is a God beyond matter. This invisible one who governs all things that are seen, and so if you look, for instance, at the ancient Near East, those are the the, uh, the pagan literature of the uh, the nations around Israel. You'll find if you if you read those texts that there are stories of gods who are fighting, and their fighting forms the world. But really, there is this in these stories, there is this battle with chaos, and chaos is subdued, and that's the way in which the world comes about that we see. Uh, but if you were to ask then, well, well, how were the gods fighting? What were they? What were all the things that they were fighting about? Why were they already here? The answer that's implicitly given is they were always there. The point is that the matter is, is eternal. It's not God, a person who's an invisible reality who existed in, in eternity. It's there is a matter, there's a thing that's eternal that could be seen with the eyes. There is an inability to grasp the unseen reality of God at the very beginning, at the point of creation, and you see uh, the same thing uh, that is uh, that is found in Athanasius in his work on the incarnation, where he deals with the Greek philosophers. So even here, you have a you know thousand more than a thousand years after these ancient Near Eastern myths, and he says the same thing. You know these philosophers they believe in the eternality of matter, but we as Christians we do not believe in this very thing. Uh, this is even the reason why, as you think about why in in idolatry? Why in religions uh, that are outside of Christianity, why there's always the worship of the creature? Why is there never the worship of anything else? The answer is because every other religion fails to apprehend truly the unseen realities that are beyond matter. There's nothing ultimately beyond the things you can see. The gods are emanations, basically, of the things that are seen. And if matter is eternal, then is not matter worthy of worship? That's the, the train of thought that always leads to the worship of the creature rather than the creator. That's the reason why there is this false step right at the beginning that leads to every other error. There is an inability, as the author says here, to understand that the world was made out of things which are invisible. Even Plato, who is credited with being the one who you know, comes the closest to Christianity, so to speak, even he believed in the eternality of matter. He believed in the eternality of matter. Even he talks about the unseen world in this or that way. But it's it's in this way always tethered to matter. There's nothing transcendent. There's no unseen being, person, who is beyond the world that is seen. There is always this tethering to the things that we see. And those things are eternal. Now, the same thing is true today, even with all of the scientific progress and whatever else, all these scientific explanations, all the the ones that that say that the Bible's been disproven and all this, there is actually the exact same false start such that evolution and all those who have various theories that are related to it are in fact making the same first move as every pagan who's ever lived in the history of the world. Uh, There is, in the Big Bang Theory, there is one atom. Where did the atom come from? Well, it's always been. Either that or there has been, you know, some people talk about the universe contracting and then retracting and going back and forth again, but either way, whether or not it's one atom that was in this state or it's been moving back and forth and there's all these universes or whatever, either way, there is an eternality to matter. There is an inability to apprehend that there is an unseen reality that has created all the things that we've seen. And this is, therefore, brothers and sisters, the the great problem. This is the great uh, difference between uh, Christians and every other religion in the world. The point is this. uh, When we think about uh, things like creation, it is necessary to understand that God has, in fact, created all things of nothing, that there is one being who is beyond everything that we've seen. Therefore, everything that we see does have a beginning, and God is the one who has made it. God is the one who has made it. Faith apprehends realities that are, in fact, unseen. Uh, Not just as it relates to creation. Creation is, again, related to redemption. Uh, Not just with regard to creation, but even redemption. Whether it be creation or redemption, faith is able to understand there is one God who is invisible, and he has acted. He's acted in creating all things, and he has acted in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the priest after the order of Melchizedek, who is the great foundation of all the hope of God's people in every age. And so brothers and sisters, uh, the point that the author is making is this, when you think about everything you're going through, all your trials and persecutions and, and everything that's coming, what is it that you need? The answer is faith, this kind of faith. Faith that is able to see realities that are in fact invisible. Brothers and sisters, hold fast to your confession. Draw near to this unseen God. Do not let go, though things get tough. Say with Job, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. In the troubles of this world, you have a need for senses that are able to grasp things that go beyond this world. The reality of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is in fact the substance of all hope, and he is the, the grounding for all things uh, that are unseen for us, the substance of everything that we are to believe. He is the one who has revealed it to us as our great prophet. He is the one who has won for us this eternal redemption as our great uh, priest. And he is the one who has defeated the devil on our behalf. Uh, may it be that God would grant you the eyes to see the Lord Jesus Christ with the eyes of faith, that you might love him and rejoice in him with joy inexpressible and full of glory, even if your eyes, your physical eyes, have not yet seen him. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how we do pray, even as we sung at the beginning of the service, that you would be our vision, that you would be the one who is set before our eyes, even though as the scriptures truly teach, You are invisible, that yet we would see you with the eyes of faith and that we would endure. Lord, may it be that you would grant us the eyes to see and behold your glory in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us simply to receive all the things that you have spoken of in your word, that we would attain to the promises, that we would hold fast to them, hold fast to our confession of faith without wavering, knowing that he who has promised is faithful. For Lord, you do ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can visit our website at newcovenantopc.com. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. If you've benefited from this ministry and want to know of ways you can help or support it, we'd like to make you aware of our new capital campaign to build a new building. God has recently blessed us with growth, here at new covenant over the years our church has been small it's gone up and down but overall things have been tight financially and the church has been small now by the grace of god we are growing we believe it wise in light of this to think about building a new building to facilitate even more growth our current building only seats 72 we cannot fit any more seats and if we were to fill every single one every lord's day we would have no more than 72 the plans for our new building would more than double the capacity and enable us to grow to a point where we can be stable financially and even be able to help other churches. One of the things that we want to to be is a church that is able to look beyond itself for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom of God. We believe that this new building can help us get there. And so we are praying that God would provide for us the funds needed to build a new building, that we would grow to fill it, and that one day we would even be able to plant a church ourselves. As you know, doing ministry here in the Bay Area, this is a very dark place. Uh, there is a great need for the light of the gospel to shine particularly in this place uh, through the preaching of the word. And so if you want to support us and to, to support our efforts to see this new building built, please consider giving a financial gift to the end. You can give by sending us a check with building fund in the memo line. Our address can be found on our website. You can also give by Zelle by sending the money to nc.opcssf.treasurer at gmail.com. With building fund in the memo line. May God bless you with a greater knowledge of his word and zeal for his name.